0: Well, grace and peace be with you from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God had done a mighty work. He heard the cries of his people while they were in bondage to the Egyptians. He sent them a deliverer in Moses, one who would stand in their place before Pharaoh and plead their cause. He sent the plagues upon Pharaoh and upon all the Egyptians when that wicked king refused to let God's people go. And when Pharaoh finally did, only to change his mind, God delivered his people once again through the Red Sea and out onto the dry land while Pharaoh and all of his hosts were swallowed up in judgment. God came through. He delivered on his promise that he made with their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was going to make them into a great nation. He was going to lead them into this promised land. He was going to deliver on his promise. God redeemed his people through his servant Moses and now he was going to deliver them the law through Moses. Since they belonged to God and since they were his redeemed people, it made sense that they were going to live according to God's eternal standard, according to the way that he revealed himself. But while Moses was on the mountain for 40 days with God, that was... That was too long for them to wait. And they grew impatient. And so what did they do? They, they, they went to the high priest. They went to Aaron and they coerced him into making a God that they could worship. Now, rather than do his duty as the high priest and rebuke them sharply, Aaron gave in. Perhaps for fear of what the mob might do to him. And so he used all of their gold to fashion this calf And the people immediately cried out with glee. They said, these are your gods, O Israel. These are the ones that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Aaron continued to play along. He planned a feast that very next day, one that was dedicated to both Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, and to their newly adopted gods, small g, gods, and there he was, co-mingling, mixing worship of the true God with these false gods. <laughs> and so God, we, didn't, we didn't read it in the, in the reading this evening, but what happened in the text is that God nearly killed them right then and there on the spot. But Moses intervened once again. Moses stepped up to the plate. He pleaded with God that they might be spared. But Moses was not happy either. He took the tablets took those tablets that were freshly engraved by the finger of God. He grabbed Joshua. They go down the mountain. And Joshua was the one that heard the singing first. He thought it was shouts of war. Then he goes, oh, no, no, that's singing. Maybe Moses was in denial by that point. Maybe he had to see with his own two eyes. But whenever they reached the bottom of the mountain, there were the children of Israel having a worship service around the golden calf. And Moses grew so angry that he threw down those tablets, the very ones that are inscribed with the Ten Commandments, and they broke. The covenant that God had made with his people was shattered just that quick. Now, the people that violated God's law, they would get their just due that day. Either they were going to be made to drink the dust of the idol that they had made or they were going to be taken out by one of the sons of Levi. Thousands upon thousands of Israelites fell by the sword that day. They paid a hefty price. But what we saw in this account is that this this is the breaking of the first commandment, 101. This is a master class in breaking the first commandment. The commandment says that we are to have no other gods. And the fine print says that we are not even to have the carved or the fashioned kind of gods that we make for ourselves, not even those. Just one God, the true God, the God of scripture, So we might be tempted here to look at the children of Israel with derision or with scorn. We might look at them and thumb our noses at them. We might say, well, I would never do that. I would be one of the pious ones down there at the bottom of the mountain. I would be the one saying, guys, stop. We'd like to think that we would be doing that, right? Have you ever stopped to wonder why they were prone to do such a thing? You ever considered that? God just delivered them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. God flexed his muscles on their behalf. He delivered them in a miraculous way. They were his chosen people that he rescued from slavery. What gives here? Let me tell you a little bit about the nature of men and women, the nature of mankind. And it will help us to understand the first commandment. There are a lot of competing theories out there about who we are, about what it means to be human. Let me give you a few of those theories. Some people assert that we are free, autonomous individuals who are self-determined beings. You know what I mean by this? We get to choose our own way. We get to determine our own fate. We are free and autonomous. Some people suggest that we are primarily emotional beings who need self-actualization. This is very popular now in our culture. The highest good is to self-actualize, to be your truest self. And that's who we are uh, as, 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 uh, as beings. Some of the more patriotic of individuals believe that we are fundamentally beings who are endowed by our Creator with unalienable rights. And now I'm not not dismissing the wisdom of our nation's founding documents, but I think what we'll find is that in each of these definitions, each of these definitions is slightly off as to what God actually says we are in the Scriptures. Because the only opinion that matters as to who we are is what God says we are. So what does God say we are? The truth is, is that we are primarily dependent creatures. We are dependent creatures. We are created by God to receive everything from him. That's who we are. We are created by God to receive everything from him. And worship is simply the context in which we acknowledge the one from whom we receive all good gifts. And it's where he comes to serve us with those good gifts. Now, because your default condition as a created being is that of dependence, your default mode of operation is worship. That's your default setting. What does it mean to worship? To fear, love, and trust. To fear, love, and trust. You will set your heart on something and look to that thing for all good. And it's from that very thing that you derive your security, your meaning, your identity, your value, your comfort, your assurance, all of those things. It's called your God, the thing that you fear, love, and trust in the most more than anything else. Now, the Israelites lived in, a, they lived in this religious culture that was full of pagan idols. And so it may seem silly that they would turn to a golden calf in worship and look to it to deliver all the goods, but we do the exact same thing. The only difference is that our false worship now has a respective, more civilized veneer to it. Perhaps you haven't crafted a golden idol for yourself, but maybe your idol is still made of gold. It just resides in your bank account. Do you look to your money and your possessions to give you what only God can give you? How about your health? How about your works? Your works, can, your good works can become your greatest sins if you trust in them. And another temptation that we face in such a self-obsessed culture is to worship ourselves. To ascribe the most worth, the most glory, the most importance to numero uno. To look inward to derive our security and our assurance and our comfort. When we break any of the commandments, my friends, we've broken the first. We lie, we kill, we steal, not because we make bad choices, but because we worship something other than the true God. We commit sexual immorality and covet things that are not ours because we fail to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Thus, this first commandment, it's good that you're here. This is the most important one. This commandment gives shape to the rest of them. And the spirit who searches the heart uses this word to lay us bare and to put all of our false gods to death. He uses this law to to kill our idols. Our idols which cannot deliver anything that they promise. So during this Lenten tide, and every day for that matter, not just during Lent, but every day, ask yourself, what do I fear, love, and trust in more than anything today? And if we're honest with ourselves, we can see where our false worship lies. Our greatest problem, my friends, is not that we're prone to make bad choices. Our problem is one of worship. And we worship false gods that cannot deliver what only the true God can deliver. Martin Luther defines a God in this way. He says, a God means that from which we are to expect all good and in which we are to take refuge in all distress. So to have a God is nothing other than trusting and believing him with the heart. If your faith and trust is right, then your God is also true. The Lord our God is a jealous one. He will not have us sharing our allegiances with any others. He will not have us mix worship of him with false pagan worship as Aaron, the high priest, did. He alone delivers us. And it's in him alone that we find all good things. He alone is worthy of our fear, love, and trust. So when we understand the nature of mankind when we understand what God says that we are, when we understand our position before him, that we are dependent creatures, we begin to understand what Jesus Christ came to do for us. He did not come to make us moral people. He did not come to make us self-actualizing people. He did not come to make us emotionally fulfilled people. He came to make us alive to God. We who were dead in sins and trespasses. He lived a life of fear, love, and trust before God so that his perfect life would be credited to our account. It would be given to us as a gift in holy baptism. And it's on account of his atoning death, my friends, that we have the forgiveness of sins. Where we have fallen short, where we have worshipped something other than him, we have forgiveness through his atoning blood. Like Moses, he has stood in our place before God and he has pleaded our cause that we would be spared God's wrath, the wrath that we deserve for our false worship. So during this season of Lent, may we repent of all of our our idolatry, all of our false worship. May we look to Christ alone for everything good. Amen.